HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This week on Meet and 3, we bring you a sensational episode where each story hones in on one of the four senses that accompanies taste. Many of the smells that we uh, encounter in everyday life actually exist out there in the cosmos. Food carries all these culturally specific meanings. The fact that, you know, when you see an apple, it's not just an apple, right? I was mostly interested in thinking about what knobs ASMR was pulling on, maybe, or how we could explain it from a psychological or emotional or evolutionary standpoint. Tune in to Meat and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. And I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Darren, we are internationally published authors. Who yes, would we are. And that gets you a 11-year running podcast. Yes. <laughs> All that work just to return to the, the firstborn, as they say. As they say. Uh, we are so excited to officially have the book out everywhere. We had the North America and Australia pub date this past week, October 14th, and we kicked it off at one of our favorite bookstores in the world, now serving in Los Angeles. It was such a great event. It really was. I mean, Jeff Gordonaire, who we love, uh, who we have had on the show a couple of times and also did a Chef Music Monday playlist for us, which is, I consider, pretty legendary really knew how to wrangle both the Bresnitz brothers and the Valdez sisters. Not an easy task. For yes, sure. and that's Andy and Breezy Valdez of Home State. Uh, we were so excited for them to be in the book and then also to sit down with us. Their peanut butter chicken and their playlist are some of the favorite things that we uh, got, got into the book. And if you have kids and they like peanut butter, then they will love this chicken. I can attest to that. Um, so it was really fun. If you still need a book and you haven't gotten one yet, uh, we totally understand. But also, shame on you. Please order one from Now Serving or independent bookstores wherever you live. Or go to Faden.com. Go to Faden.com. Yeah. yeah so we, yeah, we have a big announcement coming up with the virtual book tour. We have some really fun events with some of our favorite food and music people. And yeah. Truly global. Around the world. Truly. Around the world, we hit India, Brazil, London, and then we go all over the U.S., which is pretty exciting. 
New York, San Francisco. We just did LA, and then we're talking about Texas down the road. So just keep uh, it posted. Get to phase two before we do phase one. Yeah, well, it's fine. Keep um, a little bit inside uh, that hat. Yeah, it's good. So listen, here we go. Live event. We're doing this a little bit differently. There's no band this week, but we have a, a great hour-long conversation. Thank you again to Now Serving for hosting us. And here we go. Sit back and enjoy Snacky Tunes on HRN. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. No. No, I'm a host wow, today, but I don't know you, so it's nice to meet you in this form. Hi, everybody. I'm Ken from Now Serving in Los Angeles. Uh, we're doing a, a bi-coastal virtual author event today for this awesome book. It is Snacky Tunes, the Snacky Tunes book from Fiden. We have, this is our actually our largest panel here, uh, so we're, we're setting history. Um, we have the authors, Darren and Greg Bresnitz. Gentlemen, how are you? Hey, hey. Thank you for having us. Thanks for breaking away from the Dodger game. Oh, man. Go Dodgers. (laughs) Finally, they're showing up. Uh, We have uh, the other. So Greg and Darren are twins. And then we have Andy and Brianna Valdez from Homestate here in Los Angeles as well, who are two of three. They're two two of three triplets. Yeah. Which is incredible. Yeah. Um, and then our other triplet, Corey, who may be watching. Shout out. Yeah. Hi, much Corey. love to Corey. And then our moderator here, this guy's is going to blow your mind here. So, our moderator is not only the food and drinks editor of Esquire magazine, uh, he, is, uh, chief, he is the chief head of, uh, of the now serving bureau in New York, uh, Mr. Jeff Gordon here. But Jeff is the father of twins. No yeah. way. Yeah. 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 Agenda. You know, like, <laughs> I feel like I have to control you just like I was controlling Jasper and Wesley half an hour ago during their bath. So um, I'm I'm ready for this. I, I we're, think, yeah. we're, I'm we're, we're advanced black belts. You got nothing on this. We know, you're, you're, you think, yeah. <laughs> so, um, if you have any, if for those of you tuning in, thank you for, for uh, making the time to tune in to Snacky Tunes. Uh, if you have any questions, you can put them in the Q&A, um, and we'll get to those a little bit later on. Um, but for now, I'm going to, I hope you have a margarita at your side. If not, uh, maybe uh, you can Postmates it over to you. Uh, but now I will uh, hand it over to Jeff and the Snacky Tunes and Homestate Gang. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. We love now serving. A toast to now serving. Um, so just, just I won't do the whole rollout of an intro here, but I, I will say that I think the general purpose of this book, the Snacky Tunes book, is to make sure that I never make another writing deadline again because it is a total magnet for procrastination. It is absolutely overflowing with playlists and recipes and personal testimonials from chefs and restaurateurs like Brianna and Andy. And, and, and I just keep getting sucked into it and I'm pissed because it's, <laughs> it's eating up my day. Um, but uh, I'll let you explain it, Greg and Darren. What, what exactly is the premise of this book? 
You yeah, the, okay. Um, <laughs> we've been doing a podcast together by this of the same name called Snacky Tunes, where we have a chef on and a band on. And when the sh- podcast started, it was chef was one segment, band was another segment. And over the last 11 season and 450 plus episodes, wow. we realized that they were the same type of people. They were really cut from the same cloth and that music and food were just forms of creativity and different ways of expression and connecting with other people. And we heard chefs through our interviews just talk about music both as like an identity uh, or as something that they used in their creative process or in the restaurants um, or just something that helped them get over many, many, many hurdles. And we realized that those stories were never really connected or sorry, were never really collected. Um, And even within our interviews, they just kind of came here and there. So we decided that it would be great for us to sit down and try to collect all of these stories and put them into one place. Mm -hmm. And then from a more practical point of view, we wanted to provide a bit of a guide, a bit of a peek behind the curtain of what creatively goes into a food career and also opening a restaurant. Because so much now is not just the food, but it's the music you play, it's the art you have on the wall, it's the stories that go into the food. And there is a little bit of understanding that the taco that you eat or the steak that you have or the skate wing or the bone broth has a story behind it and how you can get from a personal moment to a dish on a plate that a customer can enjoy while they're listening to a song inside your spot. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I, I, keep getting from procrastinating with the book is this sense of of music and food as a reflection of who we are of our identities and maybe who we aspire to be um and i feel a lot of those um patterns or habits of personality are developed in your teenage years originally i grew up in la i was going out to hear bands like x and fishbone like la bands and the dream syndicate um I wanted to ask all four of you about that formative time. Like let's, let's, let's reel back to your teenage years. What music really mattered to you and what food really mattered to you? Let's start with Brianna. Oh Lord. Uh, Yeah. Thank you. Hi everyone. Um, (laughs) I'm probably like the least musical person here. Not that speaking, I don't, I love music. And I, in in my early years was um, in, in the band in Texas marching band. Um, so she used to make a lot of fun of me because she was the cool kid and I was in the marching band. Um, but music has always been really important to me. I've always connected with it. Um, but, um, you know, in the early years, I kind of just listened to whatever was fed to me. But I also more and like kind of peeling that topical layer back, I think being exposed to a lot of music by my parents and their history and culture, they're both Mexican and they would play music all the time in the house. So um, they would play like Linda Ronstan and Julio Iglesias, and then also a bunch of Tejano music. So yeah. like a lot of the polka sounds and things like that. And those are the, the that side of the music that I took a long break from mm-hmm. after kind of like I spending more time away from the house and music that I returned to. And I think has really, I didn't realize how meaningful it was until I took a break from it and realized that it was embedded in who I am. Sure. I'm a huge Vicente Fernandez fan myself. Um, 
I think I put that one of his songs, El Rey, on on one of the. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say you'll see that reflected on on our playlist. You'll see yeah. Arthur yeah. Russell next to Vicente. <laughs> I mean, it's like you know that's who we are. Um, but if I can speak really quickly, uh, hi everyone, thanks for having me as well. And just to be clear, you know, Breezy is the um, owner and brought this brought home state to life. My role has always kind of been like the DJ of the party, the party being home state. She of makes the day. it fun. I really try to bring that element to it. Um, but my love of music started really early. I remember the moment I fell in love. It was um, oddly like an REM song. I think I was in sixth or seventh grade. It was Losing My Religion. And it made me feel weird. It made me feel like there's like an alternative culture out there. And I want to know what it is. And I want to like be in it. Yeah. And it's exactly the moment. And from there on, I was like, like turn the dial as far left I'm dating myself whatever as far left as I could to find out what was going on we lived an hour south of Houston so I, we are fortunate to have I mean it was a small town like 25,000 people along the Gulf Coast but there was a really cool music scene there um, like all the weirdos like all eight of us got together mm. and like started you know, I didn't play music. I was more of the supporter as I kind of conti have continued to be my whole life. But yeah, I mean, like really dirty punk shows and like um, storage rooms. And like my first show to Houston was um, Super Chunk. I rode in the back of a trunk because that was the only place I could get, you know, that's how I could get there. And I hadn't made my friends like early because I had an 11 p.m. curfew and they had gone on at like 10, 5, like 10. And I was like, um, sorry guys. I have Anyway, like that was you know, then I started just making the trek to Houston for all these incredible shows, like the dirtier, the better, really. But like Jawbreaker was one of my early favorites. Um, how I, how does food uh, connect to all that? Like, I mean, one of the things I talk about in my foreword was when I was going out to all these shows with my buddy Rich, who actually ended up being a chef for a while. You know, it, we would map it all out. And, and we take all these tips from Jonathan Gold. We'd be like, do we want to go to Highland Park, get some tacos, or are we going to go to Thai Town, get some noodles? What are, you know, are we doing that before the show, after the show? How's this going to work? Like, it was all of a piece, you know? And I, when you were going to all those shows, were there certain types of food that you, you were just always... always there, were, there, were, there were always places, because we were all road hogs. Like, we would drive to all over, all over Texas in the South, really, and, and all the way to Chicago to see shows. And so... Where was this? Um, there were like certain restaurants in certain cities that all the everyone in the music scene would go to. Like there was this one um, Ethiopian restaurant in Dallas mm. um, where everyone would go. Like yeah, it was, I think it was like Queen of Sheba or something. But everyone oh. would always go eat there if you were like road tripping for a show to Dallas or Denton or whatever. Um, so there were those types of places. But you know, it was just more like again exp exploring the unknown in that way too like what what do we what can we try that we've never tried which was everything at that point mm -hmm. <laughs> sure. Sure. Darren Greg it's your book like tell us about that that moment in your in your early you know in your early youth when when music and food fused how how did these passions manifest themselves in your lives sure I mean there's really two stages of it one I would have to say is uh, our parents and our grandparents, at least uh, for the food part, our grandmother on both of our parents' side were always incredible chefs, always food was involved and things like that. Um, my grandmother or our grandmother on our father's side was an incredible Hungarian chef and uh, on my mother's side or mother's side, Polish chef. And then my 
mom was really into cooking. Like she was living in New York in the seventies and taking like Chinese food cooking classes in like apartments and then brought that to the suburbs where we grew up in Philly. And so what we thought of just like, oh, everyone gets like a three course European style dinner at the table was not the case where we're growing <laughs> up. And then the same thing, like our dad played guitar and he lived in Montreal and he would was dating our mother in Brooklyn. Um, and when you go back to Montreal, he always bring like all the LPs with him like the Beatles and things like that, that wasn't in Montreal at the time and, and, and listened to music with his friends. So you really had this like introduction to food and music and things like that. And I can like Greg to speak to it, but um, we were also really involved in the DIY scene. And I remember getting uh, 13 songs from, which is Fugazi's, one of their seminal albums um, at Repo Records and being like, whoa, there's no barcode on this. Like they just had a CD and they made it and they put it out and there's like no permission. And like that DIY basement spirit was a really big fundamental that you see in the through line through this book. Yeah, I mean, it was, we were in a after school, I mean, to match the marching band vibes, we were in an after school theater program <laughs> and it was like all mixed with things. We were right outside Philadelphia. So all the seniors introduced us to like June of 44, Rye Coalition, Fugazi. Uh, also for me in particular, Ani DeFranco, which like set me on my path of like strong female fronted, like Portishead, Bjork, Florence, Pretty Girls Make Graves. So all of those things are really just like wrapped up together. I think for us, interesting enough, we didn't travel too much for music because we were right outside Philadelphia. So we went to the first Unitarian church, the Trocadero, um, also saw a lot of ska shows, like really like ska against racism type yeah. of era. But the nights always kind of ended in one of two food places, um, either Wawa Hoagies, which like I think for anyone in the tri-state area knows, or we had a place called the Lanark Diner, which is also featured in Silver Linings Playbook. Um, it would be two eggs, hash browns, bottomless coffee for $2.95. Uh, and then like all the, I know. Not to date really, us either. Not to date us either. Um, and just like, that's kind of how the night ended and like, how, how like high schoolers drank that much coffee and then went to bed, I'll never know. But like that mm -hmm. place was so wrapped up and like, you know, who who were you catching a ride from? Cause you couldn't drive yet to get out there and like cramming to the back seat. I don't know if I ever took a trip in the back of a trunk, but it was definitely like seven or eight people. Just to go. I've, I've ridden on crazy, crazy uh, modes of transportation to get to shows. <laughs> yeah, like, I, yeah. And I think that it was like, I think for us and what the beginning was, was like, it was just a sense of early community for us. It was a sense of belonging. Definitely growing up feeling like an outsider with like asthma and glasses. <laughs> I think that like music was like, and theater were really like the two things that allowed us to feel belonging to a place, which I actually think is a really common uh, thread in the book that you find from chefs that like they found their tribes, which I think is almost easier now, but back then it was, Jeff, you say this so beautifully. It was the way you looked, it was what you listened to, the music mattered, the food mattered, and that was like really the beginning for, for us. Mm -hmm. Since you, you spoke with so many chefs, and I want to hear from Brianna on this too. Can I say Breezy too, as you go commonly by that, or should I say Brianna? Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. okay um, what, what does music bring to the kitchen when a team is cooking? Like, what's a theme that you heard from all your interviews? I mean, hundreds of interviews at this point, Greg and Darren. And, and Brianna, for you, like what, what is it? I mean, can it be disruptive in the kitchen? Can it be inspiring? Can it, can it fuel the energy you need? What are you getting from it? 
Is that for the for the guys or for me? No, it's for you. For the you chef. First. Yes, well, chef. I'll, I'll take it to the beginning because I think for for me personally, um, again, I think connecting to the food was also a, con a connected to the connection. I connected to the music to help me connect to the food because I knew that the flour tortilla. Um, for anyone that hasn't been to home state, the flour tortilla is really quintessential to our identity and the foundation for what we do. It's the most important thing. Um, so it, it was critical that I get it right. So when I first started the business plan, I spent a lot of time working on the tortilla. And um, I just, you know, I sucked at it. I just am not good in the kitchen at all. <laughs> and my mom used to make me fill up the ice trays and just like, don't mess it up. Um, that was my job. Wow. And so I, I was like struggling to get it right. And then I, I ended I was like, I need to connect to something. So I ended up um, turning on uh, conjunto music that my mom and dad used to play and putting a picture of my grandma Lala um, in the kitchen. And I just connected to that and tried to channel her spirit. And wow. because those were my, my memories of that food were, were her, my memories of her and my mom. So um, it was really important for me to just feel that and I just took another I took such a lighthearted like loving approach to it from that point on and I hope like from on like today you know like looking at the tortillas that were made today in the house I just like get such warm feelings about it because it is so connected um, but when we play music in the restaurant it definitely can transpire the feeling I mean it's so different now in the time of COVID we still play our playlists out for our guests to hear like the playlist that Andy has created because that's the, the, the essence of the experience that we don't want to forfeit because mm -hmm. of the current setup. We have to, um, our, our guests can't come inside, but we let our teams play what they want. So they're almost these two different environments, which is a little bit weird, um, but sometimes the kitchen takes control mm -hmm. and you walk in and it just feels like it's, truly like their cooking and their kitchen and it's the <laughs> best and it feels right yeah. and um there's just well, there's a big there's a big difference between what's played in the kitchen in most restaurants and what's played in the dining room and, and so there's in a way two different lanes of questions here with that you know that's what i'm, I'm interested in the kitchen part right now just sort of yeah. what what the chefs and the team the dishwashers everybody working in there what they're what they're um extracting from the power of music? Well, I think sometimes just the way I channeled my memories and experience with my making that tortilla mm. nine, nine, 10 years ago, um, I think it's, we've seen, and and I've seen similar moments where we walk in and the kitchen's like singing along to a beautiful oh, wow. salad. And wow. they're all connecting to their own memories. And so I really, and that's not just during, during COVID, Andy's been really smart and honest with representing who we are through music and in the kitchen. And there's you know, no division. There's no division. It's a whole open room. And that's really uh, important yeah, right. too. So sometimes you're listening to kind of- Sometimes they're listening to Mac DeMarco and then they're listening to like a beautiful like ballad, like Mexican ballad that everyone knows the yeah, words to. Volver, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, nice. and, I, and when I'm making the playlists, because every song you hear at the restaurant is, is curated by me and it's all kind of organized by like feeling like is it you know a cloudy morning or is it a really sunny afternoon on a Friday or a Saturday or is it brunch on a Sunday like all such different vibes but I think it's so important for 
hopefully everyone working to feel connected to a song. Maybe not every song, of course, not every song you're going to connect to, but for, for like once or a few times throughout the day to hear a song that like makes you feel something and like gives you that energy. Mm-hmm. And validate, almost validates you too. I think that's being a really there. important part yeah. of like just, again, being seen. Like um, that's part of a huge part of our mission statement is making sure that everybody feels seen. And I think yeah. music can make you feel seen too, make you feel represented. So um, yeah, playlist. Your your playlist is the only one that I remember where George Strait, George Strait, and Big Pun, yes, together. Exactly. Sorry to interrupt there, but I just thought it was. I was going to say the same thing that that we don't like have any genre boundaries like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, what do we like? What feels right in the moment? What do I feel like will make people happy? And and I always say that the I mean the music is like the finishing salt to everything that has gone into yeah. that bite of food from like it being grown to it being sourced to it being cooked to it being brought you know shared like there's so many things that happen and then when you're taking that bite if the music is for me when if the music's off like everything's off yeah. I i'm just taken out of the, the moment i'm taken out of that experience i'm distracted but if everything like is like seamlessly like kind of like seasoned with the music being the finishing salt it's like perfection yeah i think especially when you go to a restaurant for the first time mm-hmm. and you settle in and maybe you're a little nervous and maybe you don't feel like you know what you're doing and then a song that you love either that you know and you love or a song that you're like oh i like this comes on you are immediately connected to that restaurant for forever like you will <laughs> always remember that moment maybe more than the food because you know that the people who are behind the restaurant have some similar tastes than you. And that connection is the same connection that you're looking for and through experiences out in the world. And so when you have a pluralist that's really curated, that's really personal, that isn't just you've bought, which you can always tell when there's a bought playlist going on, you can always tell. But when you know that, when you have that juxtaposition of artists and songs and things like that, and you go like, oh my God, that song, I love that song. And then you work up the nerve to ask the server or someone like, hey, what is that song? That stays with you for forever. You always remember that. I I can say that I had the antithesis experience where a friend of ours and I went out to dinner and we absolutely loved the meal, it was incredible. We loved the playlist and we we pulled the server over, we're like, who made the playlist? And he, he's like, let me go check. And he came back and he went, it's a Pandora station. And it just literally broke our hearts. And we <laughs> never, we never went back. Cause I was like, this is so lame. Like this is, I was like, I wish you would just lie to us and be like, oh, it's the owner. But mm-hmm. when I found out that it was just a computer algorithm, it was so weird. And this was long before we wrote the book. This, I still think of this five years, six years later that there wasn't a human behind it. I thought it was uh, cheating and I felt cheated. I was like, oh, this like, why would you go so far to know where to start the Pandora station but not just make the playlist? <laughs> it, does, it does take a lot of energy though and resources yeah. to do that yeah. and, and I don't I don't want to diminish that because some people you know they're working with the resources they that they have and you know fortunately home state puts a priority on on that and I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours <laughs> putting those together because it's valued here and it's prioritized in that way because you know we have homes they have the ability to, to do that so I don't want to like you know, and also the, the, the understanding of the depth. I mean, not everybody has a deep connection. You know, somebody who's running a restaurant as a source of income or you're, you know, don't have that musical connection. You don't have the depth to create. The, and I feel the same way. When we first opened, Andy hadn't done the playlist yet. And I'd be there like, 
on the, we had like a Sonos speaker, like right behind the register. And I'd be like in between guests, I'd be like, da, 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 on my phone, like putting on a song. I'm like, oh my God, I'm the worst DJ. <laughs> um, so like, Andy, I need your help. And she's like, want me. <laughs> I, I mean, look, th- there's also the Dave Barron approach, which is just whole albums. We yeah. just go, we're list like, I'm not going to try and make a mix. This is the album we're listening to. And I've seen that especially a lot in like Japanese record bars and things like that, where they're playing full sides or, or, or full albums. And I appreciate that approach too, because it says this person created this thing in the entirety. This album's going to set the mood, which is a bit more of a harken back to our younger years. When like, if you didn't have a mixtape and you left the house, you mostly just had a album to take you through the day or something like that. So you know, there is people, it's a lot more pressure to pick the right album and, and stay with that for, for an hour or so, but I can I appreciate that. that one weird song that has a really long, noisy ending. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Where you're like, oh, I, I'd love to play that, but it's got two minutes of distortion right in the middle, and I'm just, you know, it's not going to work on a Sunday afternoon. Exactly. Actually, that speaks to Jeff's point. I mean, so part of, part of your question was, um, is it, can it be distracting? Mm. And it really can, especially like <clears throat> for some reason right now in the restaurants, we're like battling the kind of the need for quiet in the restaurant because it's so intense to get all these things right. And and mm-hmm. it sounds like it'd be simpler, but it's actually a little bit harder to run service when you're just dealing with like screen orders and like all the tech stuff. And it's just, it's just a lot. So we've gone back and forth where we say like, um, you know, we get to a head where like, should we just cut music? And it always comes down to it. absolutely not. <laughs> do it. Like that would be just like cutting yeah. off. Um, but then there are also the songs that they'll get, they'll send to Andy, like, can you please remove these songs from the playlist? Cause they're driving the staff crazy. Like what? Well, the, nobody likes Sneaky, Sneaky Snake. Snake. Oh. Tom P. Hall. <laughs> Tom T. Hall from respect, our childhood. Respect, respect. Um, Sneaky Stink. It was like our childhood anthem. And we were like, yeah. we love it. And we're like, why don't you like Sneaky Stink? I'm like, well, I guess I can see why. It's a little bit weird. But um, for somebody that I doesn't know, know it, I, mean, I don't know. But yeah, I get it. What do you guys think is like a mistake? If you walk into a restaurant and they're playing this song, you might just walk out. For me, it's Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> That's kind of I don't. Do. Yeah, I can say, from, <laughs> I think though, from the book though, I, I think it, like it depends on the restaurant. Like I, we actually found out that like there was a there was a lot of moments when we got the playlist. I went, really? That's what you're playing? And then when you think about in context of the restaurant or how it's used, um, the example that I like to give is uh, Najat, who runs Nur out in in Fez, Morocco. She's like, our staff listens to Eminem, Lose Yourself. And at first I was like, I don't understand this. And then she's like, well, we have a staff from all over the world. They speak a bunch of different languages. They know American pop really well. And when we fire people up, Lose Yourself is like such a good anthem. And I was like, all right, let me go back and listen to it. And I was like, oh shoot, she's right. Like this is actually incredible because it cuts through the microcosm uh, of that. Now, if I were to say to go into a restaurant and just hear lose yourself completely out of context, mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, like not not for me, maybe not my vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, but in hearing that, so like every chef, because they're kind of like with, with how Andy picks it, every chef has like everything is considered just like everything on a plate is considered. 
all of this is considered. So Sweet Home Alabama might be wrong in like nine out of 10 situations, <laughs> but there might be a one out of 10 where it's like, oh, this is absolutely perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the only thing that really comes to mind is that there was this trend in LA maybe five years ago where every fine dining restaurant was just playing hardcore rap as this juxtaposition. And just by like the eighth or ninth restaurant, you could tell that uh, they had just not picked the songs. They just put on some playlist. Mm. And it was, it was just like, oh, like you're just trend chasing and you know it could be anything it could be you could go back to like the late aughts and the 2000s uh in brooklyn and it could be uh you know sort of like electro clash or something like that or indie rock we're just like oh you just like are putting this on because everyone else has it on i think when yeah. it just feels like you've just picked a playlist that you think people are gonna think are cool yeah that's when you go like Ugh, and you could feel it right away Yes. I got asked to make a playlist for a restaurant a few years ago. I've been asked by by a few restaurants of, of friends, and I'm always jump at the chance to trade a playlist for a few meals. And yeah, so, hey. um, that's I our new business. Taking <laughs> offers. <laughs> we got me. Um, but yeah, the, I met with the GM, and his request was like really hard rock, like really heavy, like obviously like left of center hard noisy aggressive and i was like oh I, I, I was trying i was trying to follow, follow that directive and i was like i can't because i know if i'm gonna i want to go eat there and i know if i do it i'm gonna like i want to get out of here as fast as possible yeah sure. my wife, ah! i'm like i can't do it yeah I can't do it i like well, to put stuff in to that I have point, to admit, I don't want to be subjected to that when I'm having a tasting menu. You're like, what did you, you know. say? What? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's some was... restaurants have done that. Some of them where there is no divide between the restaurant and the kitchen, yeah. you know, playlist where there's blasting music and it's super aggressive and it's super loud. Um, you know, uh, I won't name some of the names because I know that some of them uh, take pride in it, but sometimes you're just like, I don't know if it's me getting older or things like that, but I'm just like, just turn it down, please. Just like a little bit, pretty please. And I'll stay here and eat more and drink more, but it is so loud right now. Uh, yeah. And it's on purpose. It's always on purpose. Whenever it's that loud, it's never a mistake. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, there, also, if anyone has placed commercials, if anyone just hasn't paid for the upgrade, you're like, really? Ooh, oh. I've, I've never seen that. It always happens. Yeah. Oh man. So I'll path a little bit more. Oh, <laughs> Greg, I was wondering if you could each name one chef from Snacky Tunes, the book, whose choice has really shocked you. Some, some who really surprised you. Hmm. Um, I would say maybe Mei Chow really surprised me, just because it was so personal like it really was her personal story her history as a playlist mm -hmm. um and i thought she just really just applied her life experience to songs and i put together in almost a chronological order mm -hmm. so i thought that was really beautiful to if you really knew the songs and then you listen to the songs and we've built all the playlists you can go to snacky tunes on spotify and all the playlists are there um so if you listen to all the songs and then read her life history, you're like, oh, wow, like I have a soundtrack to her life. So that was really beautiful and really special. Mm -hmm. awesome. Great. 
A.L. Shawnee uh, was amazing to me because he really didn't get into music until later in life. He was actually one of the few chefs, I think it was like 44 when he discovered classical music. Everyone else in the book almost has like, uh, it was the first love. They have like, you know, pre-childhood memories of it. And he came to it so much later in life, but his reaction to it was like a door opening into the universe as he described it. So it was, and the way in which that he spoke about it and reflected on it and meditated on it was just surprising to me because you only think that you would have a connection to something if it's been lifelong. And it, for him, it's only been 20, I don't know how old he is, but 20, 25 years of a connection. So I thought that was really surprising given everyone else in the, the book. Yeah. Oh, and obvi obviously Andy and Breezy Valdez, their playlist. Oh, man. First of all, not a chef. Yeah, me either. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for having us regardless. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, you guys, I, but that's, I, you know, this actually gets to a good point about the book and the selection and things like that, um, is that I, I feel like restaurants now are really an extension of a person in some ways. Now, obviously, the food is a big part of it. And, you know, your food is, I mean... I'm not just saying because you're here. I post photos of it. I get home state almost every week. My wife loves it. My daughter loves it. Like we get it all the time. But the vision that you have for that restaurant is more fully realized. And maybe even some people who have only kept their head down, only done classical training, only been like, I cook this very certain way. And I've never thought beyond that. And I think that's sort of what people are looking for now. It's like the same way that you hunted for bands. You're hunted for restaurants. They can be like, oh, home state's my place. And Nightmark is my place, you know, and Manu's my place, Estella's my place. You know, you can go around the world and be like, here are my places and same way that like, here are the bands I love in those cities. And part of that is the whole package now, which really what this book shows. And so don't write, I know you might not call yourself a chef in, in that set, but your restaurant tours. How about that? All of us at HRN have been keeping busy despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, Food podcasts from HRN provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new show. I, I wanted to ask one kind of broader cultural question that's of interest to me. 15 years ago or so, you were hearing the phrases like, you know, chefs are the new rock stars and uh, food is the new rock, which Tejal, you know, who's a 
brilliant writer in the New York Times, a California critic for the New York Times. She described a few months ago as a deeply embarrassing phrase. <laughs> and since this is a book about music and food, I'm interested in your perspective on that nomenclature and how this book differs from that. Like how this is a different perspective than that. I want to answer for Darren because uh, he hates those phrases. And yeah. I, I, like he, he uh, to not have him go on a diatribe about it, but he has hated those almost from the beginning for, for so many reasons. Um, so we were very conscious when we were writing this about like food is the new rock and chef's a new rock star. I mean, this book really is about music's influence on the culinary world. Uh, I think that most of the people in here would say that music was their first love and even maybe identify with music more than they do with food. I wouldn't say it's like down the line, but there are some people who still see themselves primarily as music fans first and then chefs and, and foodies because it's just so in the in the blood and woven into their DNA. So I wouldn't, this is not positioning like chefs as rock stars or chefs as anything other than that. This is just chefs really talking about their love of music. And I think Jeff, the reason why you're so intoxicated with it is because I think you're also a music fan first above anything else, as am I, as is, as is Darren. So reading about these people that you know and love, or even people you don't know and love, talking about something that we all love, that's that's really what it is. I don't know if there's like a pithy statement about it or like a catchphrase. Like, give me 30, 30 to 60 seconds to just explain my thoughts. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. I'm so, uh, just, just, yeah, just put it up. Look, here's the thing. Food as the new rock is a complete misnomer because food has probably been around long before music and the whole existence of the world, right? I think the right question, what we've sort of figured out is that is food at the same pop culture status as music? And we can say yes. And I think you see a lot of big ambassadors. Someone like a Questlove is like the perfect personification of someone who started a musician and loves food, but now is like, when you think of him, you think of him as food and music and you don't really separate it. And he's got albums, he's got restaurants, he's got cookbooks and things like that. But oh, and I got 20 seconds on the clock, but like, if you look at like a profession, right? Like what, you know, up into the nineties, early two thousands, the idea of like working in food and things like that was still like a little, like, I don't know, what do you do? I've been working in food media. I started interning in 2001 and people were like, what you do like cooking shows. And now it's like, oh yeah, you work on cooking shows and things like that. When it was like, oh, I'm in a band or I work in music or things like that. And so now it's like just accepted that like food is another artistic discipline or another business that is reputable. It's another field of passion in a way. Yeah. I, mean, I, think that's, yeah. I mean, I find spending time with this Snacky Tunes book that in fact, it does the opposite of the chefs or the new rock stars thing because that nomenclature essentially puts chefs on some kind of weird pedestal. Whereas this I find really humanizes them. Mm -hmm. All the chefs are coming through just as people, people like me who love music and have, um, quirks of identity that are expressed in their playlists just as those quirks and passions are expressed in their menus like i feel like menus and playlists are in a sense um expressions of who you are and so i just it 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 it, it actually kind of brings everybody down to earth i find and the way it's put together there's definitely an i uh to the valdez sisters i'll, I'll say this like the thing that i saw is like it really is a grind Right. Like a lot of what this book 
that I saw was like what it takes to be a business person and work in food and start a restaurant. And you can lose that with Instagram and social media a little bit, especially where like media and culinary media is gone, where you just see people are like, oh, I have the restaurant, I'm out there and people like this, but like this sort of shows a journey, right? And it shows a creative journey and it shows the work that goes into it and how music and food are coming along with you on that journey into starting your first restaurant or, or launching sort of a brand. We, we actually got a lot of questions coming in, so I'm not going to be some, you know, egocentric talk show host here. I want to hear from, from the people. And there, there's a good question, but can we hear more about the peanut butter chicken recipe? I'm glad I was thinking about this, too, that Breezy and Andy submitted in the book. This chicken looks really delicious. I love peanut butter in anything. So tell us about this. Can we, can we just one context? So in the book every chef submitted a recipe that was tied to a song. So they had to find some connection to it. So there's 77 songs and 77 recipes. Um, this is actually one of the dishes that Darren and I have already made for our families and we, we love it, just for context. Kids love it. We Kids went, love it, it's, we love we it. Went back to the, we went back to our roots when we were talking about what we wanted to showcase. And I mean, obviously we can pull from so many different genres of music, but home state is rooted so deeply in our family, very like very much Tex-Mex family. And we have so many strong memories of, you know, we haven't mentioned this, but like, you know, our grandparents and our dad's parents lived on like a ranch um, in the middle, kind of middle of nowhere in Texas. And everyone would gather there on the weekends. Our dad's playing guitar, our grandpa's playing accordion. I don't know, you know, everyone's singing. Like it was, and our grandma's next to them in the kitchen rolling tortillas. So that really is the heart and soul and essence of home state, mm -hmm. which Breezy touched on mm -hmm. earlier with the tortillas. Um, so we we felt like when we started talking about like what song, what's what what is it, and what recipe dish, yeah. that was that was a dish, and that was a dish that that our mom used to make for us as kids all the time. And the gold pan pot that mm -hmm. she still has, and she's yep. like, she's how to make it a hundred times. We always feel like, how do you make that? <laughs> Uh, but it's like also one of the things that I have never seen. I mean, of course, you've seen peanut butter dishes and and uh, um, other cultures, but like I've never seen. It's just not something you commonly see. Um, so I was I always like kind of uncovering hidden gems from our childhood, especially that's personal and keeping those things alive. Like I remember um, our our grandmother used to make copinitada. I don't know if anyone knows what that means, but it's like um, on this panel, but. It's like a bread pudding with white bread and raisins mm. and anise tea and um, anise. And then um, you can put prunes and cheese and get real crazy. But I never seen that on the menu. And I remember one day thinking like, how is this stuff gonna stay alive if we don't start making it? Mm. And I remember seeing it on a menu once in LA, like a really high-end restaurant downtown. And I was like blown away. And I was like, see, like it does have a space and place. And, um, stuff like that. So that peanut butter chicken kind of fits that thing, but I don't know if anyone else, we, I haven't ha actually had it in a long time. I'm really excited to get the thing. <laughs> well, I, I haven't made it. It's so cool. Thank you. I haven't cooked it yet, but just reading it, it almost sounded like a West African dish to me. Yeah. So, yeah. I really want to try it. Kind of, it's reminiscent of like a, a mole almost, like a, it's like a speedy mole. You know, uh -huh. like cool. Yeah. Speedy mole. Nice. It's, Breezy, to your point, there's this uh, incredible Hungarian dish that uh, our grandmother makes called cholent, which is this Jewish, it's it, usually for Shabbat dinner, where you can make it and put it on the stove and it's beans and it's got smoked turkey and things like that. And you just like, it just sits on the oven 
uh, or on the stove and it just cooks all Shabbat and you just scoop and things like that. And I'd never seen it out and I made it, I made it. And then Mile End in Brooklyn actually put on, uh, it was, a, I don't want to say a higher end version. It was still very Jewish stew. But to that point, I was like, oh my God, thank God. Like it is out in the world, you know? But that's also the great thing about this book is that like it's so much what we do is like digital and disappears and things like that. But this is like, you know, that peanut butter recipe can go into, you know, down generations and things like that. It's really awesome. We can't wait to tell our moms. She'll chills. be really touched. Chills, chills. And it was chills. really cool Thank to connect with her on that too. Yeah. When we yeah. Talk to, to like say, you know, we, this is the recipe that we want to feature. And we, sorry, we need to ask you again. <laughs> it's great. It works. Kids love it. Great for kids. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you guys. White, white rice too. Just put that over white rice with the extra sauce. Yeah. That's how she used to serve it. Absolutely. That's yeah. so our, cool. Our, our mom has this legendary chicken that is apricot preserves, uh, French onion soup, and uh, French dressing that she would make for us. And then we had to like beg her to tell us what it was when, before we left for college. And because she's like, if I tell you no judgments, because she was always about like making things from scratch and things like that. <laughs> um, but I'm telling you, you do that, you bake it in the oven at like 350 till it's like brown, put that on white rice all day. Oh my gosh, I want that recipe. I'll send it, I'll text it to you. I ask her to text it to me all the time because I always forget it. Okay, I'm gonna have to control the twins now. I'm controlling, <laughs> I'm in twin controlling mode. Sorry, um, sorry. Oh, so we have a question from somebody curiously named Eddie Bresnitz. I mean, <laughs> coincidence, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> Darren and Greg, you both like to cook. What do you listen to when you cook? Uh, I always listen to like Niels Fromm, uh, Avril Pratt, like uh, Max Richter type vibes when I do it. Uh, Ruchi yeah. Sakamoto. Whoa, I, that's what you I, cook to? That's what I cook to. That's I, it's just, cooking. <laughs> um, is it? I just really like, I mean, uh, Philip Glass, like I think that it just, cause it's just like, you can just zone out to that stuff. And like, especially if you're cooking long dishes and you're not trying to like change records, I just like to hit play and just put that on. I also have a newborn daughter and it's also very calming to her. And sometimes when you add lyrics into it, it breaks things up. Uh, and you end up, since they're like compositions, you don't get that weird, as you said, like, two minute noise track that is like very distracting. So it's like press play on that and then just start cooking. Nice. I have probably two modes. I would say one is, well, three now that I have a daughter cause that's Disney soundtrack. Uh, Lion King 2, Simba's Pride has a really killer opening song um, which they probably blew all their music budget on. But uh, I would say um, there's like the jazz like Innocental Mood, Chet Baker, Nina Simone, Otis Redding. That is the like week over Sunday morning or something like that, where I'm just like, just take me away, right? Just like get in there, get my brain. You know, I'm drinking a highball. It's fantastic. I'm chopping, you know, waxy potatoes or something like that. And then the other is like more of like a return to my DIY. Like I'll listen to maybe like some punk stuff, like a pup or, you know, a white lung, something, you know, that's a little bit like harder just because I'm just, you know, when I have my AirPods on, because no one else wants to hear it in the house. Um, but you know, it's, uh, that to me, sometimes I'm just like, I'm just cooking, I'm in my own world and I just need something that uh, uh, is is distracting in some ways. Um, but great, great question from Dr. Bresnitz. Uh, really, really great question. There's a question from Phoebe for Breezy and Andy. 
in your dreams what musician or band would create the next taco the next band taco yeah i mean first of all for people anyone who may be watching who's not familiar with our band taco program we um it's been a program that we started in 2015 and we thought you know we programmed we thought how cool would it be if we collaborated with artists that we're friends with or that are that come into the restaurant just all the time on a taco and all the proceeds went to charity like a band taco program and we were like that's cool um and we will make original artwork for it as you can like see a band, like, like an, an album, album cover, album cover. Um, and i was like we'll program six and that'll be the end of it a six-month program um but as soon as we launched it it got like coverage on pitchfork it was just like kind of took on a little life of its own and we started getting uh requests from managers and bands and whoever you know like we want to do one so that was again in 2015 and i think we've done about 25 now they used to be monthly but it was so much yeah. work and there's only a finite number of taco you know ingredients <laughs> that we have in our small kitchen i used to come up with anyway they had to rein me in operations team had to rein me in because i had all these ideas but anyway um we've gotten to work with some of like truly our favorite artists like this is a some of the artwork back here but you mentioned quest love earlier he did he did one of like the second i think he did the second one this is his art oh yeah that was, was good play, oh, on cool. a, play on a philly cheesesteak mm -hmm. um he's dj'd here a couple of times um and spoon did the first one tijuana panthers is one of our most popular and local natives Toronto batman's the current one anyway a lot of our favorite bands the bands that i love krongbin did one like two years oh, I love ago. Love amazing. Um, their artwork is right here. Um, Future Islands, like really, like so many of our favorite bands. Yeah, very cool. Um, and so, so who, would you want? Who, who would you want to do one? Yeah, who's your dream? Phoebe, good question. I, I, Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what's your What's your number two? No, 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 no. <laughs> on a blue corn ivy tortilla. <laughs> I hope she's watching. She probably is. is. Yeah, she is. I would love to get like a classic country artist, like maybe Dolly would be incredible. Willie, mm. Willie, mm. woo! Um, oh, Willie, wow. CBD brisket, right? Nice. Given this nice. a great idea, you're hired. Thank you. I mean, uh, consulting. Send send the contract over. No, but there's some, um, there's an Austin band that I uh, called Black Pumas that I really like, oh, yeah. and I feel like they great. them a couple. They played down the street, uh, I don't know, pre-COVID. Um, I think they'd be really fun. I think it takes us back to our roots again in Austin. And um, we're really also trying to make sure that we're representing, you know, like when Black Lives Matter movement really took off in, the, in June, we really took a hard look of like, have we covered, like what is our program, this band Tucker program that we've done, it's all rooted in charity, of course. And the money has gone to support the homeless community and we've really tried to engage and do our part in the community but we took a look at the i, I took a look you know i think that moment and and continues to, to happen now hopefully will continue for all of us to look at what we're doing our programming and how we're are we are we representing fully are we representing fairly and across the board so that was something i looked at like Questlove, midnight hour we've we've had a you know diverse ish program but i really want to keep our focus on that. So female, you know, people call it, like, I really want to maintain that focus. And also great music that we love. I may be too obvious with this question, but I'm an LA boy myself. Has there been a Los Lobos taco? Um, there no, hasn't Los been, Lobos. but I also, yeah, I do love Los Lobos. That's, That's a good idea. Yes. I mean, they're right there, you know, that's, anyway. 
I'm, I'm a little. Old. That, that's got to be the that's got to be the Kiko taco, right? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Okay. Really good some idea. Stuff in Q and A in here too. Uh, let's see. Oh wow, there's a there's a heavy metaphysical question here, and I guess I'll just ask it uh, from Diane. It says, "Does the music dictate the food, or does the food dictate the music?" Uh, I can tell you from the book, the majority of the answer was that the music dictated the food. There's like a number of instances where I don't want to say that people were lost, but they were trying to figure out like what they were going to do and what type of food they were going to create and what type of restaurant they were going to build. And it was the music that they listened to the composers or the musicians that actually pushed them and pushed their food. So I think it was majority that the music came first and the memories of music came first uh or was that i mean i think darren and i one of our favorite recipes is shirley chung i i mean she made this dish that was uh reminiscent of um music that reminded her of her grandparents and who were separated by war and separated by distance and made this like sweet and sour soup but it was always tied to like this music idea and then that pushed the food forward that's interesting i mean i remember there's a there's a recipe i believe from kwame amuachi uh formerly of kith and kin in washington dc who was actually esquire's chef of the year last year i'm proud yep. to say um talented guy he has a dish called black cow that's a short ribs dish that's inspired by Steely Dan's song, Black Cow, that I guess he heard a lot at home when he was a kid. And it's yeah. been sampled a lot and stuff. That was so interesting to me because echoing your point, it seemed like the music was actually kind of writing the recipe in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I think you saw a lot of people who, before they could express themselves as artists through food, they were finding connection to music as art. Yeah. And then able to take those feelings and turn that into a dish or a restaurant and using that as maybe a creative stepping stone before they could put what they want to say into their own expression. Mm -hmm. um, Ken, you always have awesome questions. Did you have something? He, he seriously has the best <laughs> questions of these panels. <laughs> and, and does Frankie have a question maybe? Well, I just I, I just got up because her nap is running long, and <laughs> it's one of those things where you, you're scared your kid is going to fall off the couch when they're asleep. So I just threw some pillows on the floor to make sure she's. <laughs> um, that's yeah, that's my parenting style. Um, well, I was I was going to touch upon the amazing band band taco project that uh, that Homestead has, and it's almost like. You know, when I first saw the whole band taco thing there, it was kind of like, you know, to paraphrase Nick Hornby, it was, you know, it was like, you know, tell me who you listen to and I'll tell you what, who you are. And that was, that was a, a perfect thing about Homestate. It was almost like as good as the queso and the tortillas are at Homestate, it's like the vibe at Homestate is almost like a music venue disguised as a taqueria mm. which yeah. which and and i i relate to that because the vibe that we chase after you know now of course we're not open to the public right now but at, at now serving 
the vibe that we chase after is the 90s indie record store yeah and it doesn't we don't want it to feel like you know um i almost said borders uh that dated me uh (laughs) we don't want it to feel like a barnes and nobles or anything like that you know we 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 curate we curate you guys and these and these chefs and restaurateurs in here you curate everything i think this is a what what the breast guys were talking about is like everything is so personal now like from the from the hot sauce to the the coffee that you carry to the music to um you know what drinks are on draft it's like everything is an expression because it is such a grind you know so i don't really have i don't know if I, that's not really a question it's just you know I, i'm really i really pay homage to 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 what you know people like the Valdez sisters do so I think you just got free tacos for life, Ken. I don't want to. I, I, I don't want to jinx anything, yeah. but uh, I think you just Hopefully. hit on looking at their faces, everything they've achieved and tried to do. Well said. Yeah. That, means, that means the world to to me and to, to us. Yeah, after kind of a really rough year and a really rough day, actually, we just reopened the restaurant that we had to close twice. This right time. in uh, in Playa Vista, right? Yeah, I'm like so sweaty, but it was sure. Such- I crawled to do this interview and just, I mean, honestly, like everybody in the book to have, be able to express their own stories and achieve that feeling. And even to one person to have that feeling is like, it's worth it. Yeah. And I think it's a, um, reinforces the very fundamental idea that at the end of the day, our story is ours to tell and share and really honor. And hopefully, you know, hopefully someone responds to it or understands it or connects with, you know, connects to, but if not, then, I mean, that's really at the end of the, you know, we've been accused of being like, whatever, appropriating, appropriating or whatever, like, this is just actually who we are. <laughs> but <laughs> so I that's the compass at the end of the day with, every, with all the decisions. If anything, I think it, it re- should reinforce for anybody listening or reading the book. I mean, I'm so excited to read it that their stories are worth telling and worth sharing and is maybe they've never seen those stories told before, but that's like even more reason to tell them and to share them, even if it's like on a really small stage and it, it matters and somebody walking by can connect with that. If people that aren't from Texas, like you walk into Homestead, you don't see anything that says Texas on it or like a, a, a Texas shape. Like it's not that feeling that we want to be at least evocative of that experience. So, um, you know, but people connect with that still. And I think it's everybody, can need something to connect to. So I think that's a beautiful thing about restaurants and that's the importance of create people that create experiences like everybody in the book. So I'm excited to read it. I think that's one of the things from the book is that they're all new stories. That was like, you know, to go back to Jeff, almost your very first question, like, I don't think a lot of these stories have been told. It was really interesting. Uh, so many of the chefs we spoke to are so media trained and they hit their marks and they hit their points and they just like, talk about their concept and their food and their origin story and everything. And then you start talking to them about music and like everything just fell away. One of the amazing things is Darren and I, you know, we knew some of the people in the book, but a lot of them were strangers and they were telling us stuff that I would, you know, think that you would get after 10, 15, 20 years of friendship. I think because music unlocked it. I think music was this lens that they never got to talk about. Matt Arbigel from Yarbrough texted me after that. He's like, I've never gotten to speak of music in that way in any of my interviews like I've never told those stories and so I think like Breezy what you were saying is that like these stories matter 
like these stories make these make these stories make up who these people are and they identify themselves through these stories and through the connection to music so i think that's why jeff i think you fall so in love with the, the, the narratives because you see yourself reflected in it because we all have these stories like i find it would find it hard pressed for anyone to read this and just not make their own playlists or have their own stories or have their own kind of moments that you know they're defined by by music I was really surprised by the, the kind of generosity of the book in that respect. It seemed like people didn't just say yes to you. They yeah. just kind of opened a vein on it and like told you everything about their food and their music. Um, it, I, w I wondered if anyone said no, because it seemed like everyone was inclined to just jump in head first. We won't name them, but some people said no. They're dead to us. Um, no, I, I, the, well, there's a few things. Uh, some people said no, because they're like, actually, I'm not involved with the music. Like, I don't really have, I listen, you know, it's like, I spent all my time listening to NPR, you know, which a lot of respect for, you know. I mean, look, if you want to give me your 10 favorite Terry Gross interviews, we could put that in the book too. Murray um, Sendak. And, and, you know, there are some chefs who we reached out to who were on the record of being huge music fans. And I think, I, I don't know if they thought we were going to treat it with like the deference that we did. Um, and they were just like, you, you're going to besmirch my love for music. But, you know, look, I mean, if, I think everyone here has always has, if you reach out to enough people, enough people are going to say no. And I think when you um, start to realize like it's not personal, then you just go like, okay. But that meant that everyone who said yes really showed up. Yeah, seems like it. Um, Jeff, we, I, Jeff, I have a, I actually have a, just a real quick question um, before we wrap up, and it's for you. So, oh. Jeff, he write, you know, you ha you have a list, uh, a list, a very important list, you know, a significant list that you come up with of the best, you know, in uh, best restaurants of the year, and and you know, yeah. um, and you highlight chefs around the country. Can you just speak real quickly about like what that feeling is of, you know, of all the, you know, when, cause you're, you, you, your work is in restaurants and, 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 and dining in them. So what is that feeling like? And we all know that feeling of when you're taking a bite of something or you, you put that fork in your mouth and then that song comes on and you're just like, it's a holistic experience as I think we, we uh, see expressed in this book. Um, traveling around the country in a normal year, traveling incessantly around the country, we actually figured out a way to do it this year, which sort of teaming up with Kevin Sintemong, my editor, you'll find out soon. Um, it's going to be a little unconventional, but we figured out something. But normally I just travel constantly and it sounds really glamorous and it sounds like the, the greatest job of all time. And it's, I'm blessed, it's fun. But let me tell you, you're not always walking into the best restaurants in the world. You're often walking into experiences and, and you know, you might have to have six or seven meals a day on this beat. You know, I'll hit Miami, have a bunch of lunches, then a bunch of dinners. And maybe there's some disappointments in there where not everything's clicking. Okay. That's just how life is. But you do it. You keep going. What drives you? is the, the allure of those moments when it does click. When you walk into a restaurant, when everything is right, the music is right, the food is right, the vibe is right, the people are wonderful, you can just feel it. And it's so much more than the food. That's one reason I'm drawn to a book like this, you know? Um, I mean, you know, without giving away too many hints here, you know, I, I recently did take a road trip to North Carolina. I, I wore my mask, I was socially distant all the time. It was almost 
like a character in a Stanley Kubrick movie. I was I was just super isolated. <laughs> and when I got back, I quarantined the, the two weeks and everything. But I went to a place called Leah and Louise uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, where there's a chef named Greg Collier. We, we have benefited. We are blessed by the last decade or so. Finally, a long overdue spotlight is being shown on Black chefs in America. Uh, Kwame, who we mentioned, Eduardo Jordan in Seattle, Mashama Bailey in Savannah, Georgia. Greg, Greg is the next, the next voice, the next chapter. What he's doing at Leah and Louise excited me so much. I had driven hours through hurricane rains, you know, by myself, listening to whatever was on my phone. And I got there and I was like, it was more than relief. It was like a, euphor a euphoria because it was like, it's worth it. This is beautiful food, an incredible guy. It, like there's a real vision here. And the restaurant is like a, a new next wave juke joint. So music is super important to it. Um, I feel like, you know, at this point, if they haven't thought through the music, it's kind of maybe a signal that they haven't thought through everything. You know, they haven't like it. it, it what, if you have a real vision for a place like home state, it's you know, the vision applies to all aspects of it. So it's kind of like listening to music, actually. It's like uh, when you, you know, Nina Simone, you know, her, the sound of her voice, you know, Patti Smith, right? You know, Cat Power. I heard Cat Power singing background on a song recently, but an album from a French singer. And suddenly I heard this, I was like, that's Cat Power in the background and looked in the liner notes and it was because I'm weird and I still buy CDs. But anyway, <laughs> um, you, know, you, 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 you wanna hear that distinctive voice. You wanna hear someone who's cooking is recognizable in that same way, um, which I found in Greg Collier in, in North Carolina and many other people. Um, and that's what keeps you going. It's an exciting, it's like you, you're, you're just like all, all the calorie intake, all the back aches from driving, it was worth it for this. That was more than you wanted to know. And I'm so damn hungry now thinking about tacos. It's, <laughs> it's eight o'clock here in the Hudson Valley and I'm starving. So you messed me up. Yeah, Jeff, you know, you actually touch on a great point of what this book is. And that's really a love letter to independent restaurants. You know, we wrapped this up in March of this year, really at the beginning with everything that we knew about dining out had changed and there's not one person who's part of this panel who's going to read this book who's in the book and like who hasn't been affected you know and we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for independent restaurants and right. what we got to experience in the last you know few years of dining out and the community built and the connections we have and you know that's why um you know the independent restaurant coalition is the charity that we've aligned with for this event um i don't know i don't think anyone knows what we're going to come out looking like on the other side, as far as restaurants, who's going to be there. You know, it's very, it's like, it's very sad. And it's very sad when you really think about it, but this book really unbeknownst to us captured what it could be and what it was to go out to eat and to walk into that special place. Yeah. You know, that place that you think about that place where you, like, you walk in and you're just like, you just know it from the moment. Like I have chills right now because I just know yeah. those restaurants where you walk in and you're like, this like this is why I do the research this is why I care this is why I work and save money this is why I do everything and like 
that is what this book should read like, like that experience. Like we, you know, we haven't been to all the restaurants in this book. You know, we did six continents. We have places we didn't know, but the ones in there that we do know and we do love, like we, we cherish them and we miss them. And so we hope that this is a little bit of taste of that while we get through like the next iteration of whatever the world's going to look like. Yeah. No kidding. All right, everybody. Thank you so much to Greg and Darren Bresnitz. Thank you to Andy and Brianna Valdez from Home State. Jeff Gordonier in the Hudson Valley. Thank you. The book is Snacky Tunes. We do have a, a bundle uh, at nowservingla.com of signed books and the Snacky Tunes pin, which goes to the uh, IRC. Uh, proceeds go to the IRC. So um, if you're interested in that, go there. If not, make sure uh, you can vote here in California or anywhere else you're tuning into. So thank you so much. Stay thank well. Home state. We love you, everyone. Thank you, Peyton. Thank you, thank you, Peyton. Thank thank you everyone. Take care, everyone. Jeff. I know. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.